You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. It's time to get back to James and get back to work together. So if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word, we're going to be in James chapter 1 and we'll begin there in verse 22. James says this, this is sort of at the heart of what his message is. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law The law, interestingly enough, of liberty. Think about that for a minute. The law of liberty. The law that sets us free and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And my prayer today is is that we'll listen to James' message to us and we will be blessed in what we do for the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this day and this opportunity to preach your word. These handful of verses are so important for our church and for the work we're doing in the days to come. And so, God, I ask that you will light a fire, kindle a flame in this room today and help us to connect the hearts in this room who have been saved by grace with a lost world that is hungry and hurting. God help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Listen, it's pretty simple. The Christian message that we get from God's Word demands activity. It demands action. And James is sort of shouting out to us. There's an emphatic tone in these verses uh, telling us that we cannot forget to act on our gospel convictions. We need to have solid gospel convictions, absolutely. But if the message doesn't move us to act, then we need to consider that maybe that message is not from God. When the message is from God, there is action. Now, some of you may kind of push back and say, well, pastor, what about those times when we're supposed to be still and and know that the Lord is God? Well, listen, that's an active choice to go into prayer and meditation. So even there is an action leading to an inaction, at least in terms of going out, but still you have to choose to act on those convictions. God is always speaking to us, but here's the problem, church. There are so many times when we've heard the word, but we are not acting on it. And I think that it's impossible for anyone in this room to say, no, pastor, every time God has taught me something, I have immediately acted on it. I've always been faithful. If that's the truth, well, you need a different kind of help, okay? We know, we know that many times we've not done what God wants us to do. So how do we get to the place? And this is a quote from a guy, Frederick Buechner. I don't even, I've not read the book. It was in a footnote, but it's just grabbed my heart ever since I read it. He says, we need to get to that place where the gladness of our hearts and the world's deep hunger meet. I want you to get that that, that idea in your head. We need to, as individual Christians, find the crossroads 
where the joy we have in the gospel, the gladness of our hearts because of salvation coming to us, where does that touch down with a hungry world, hungry for truth, hurting because of sin? We have to connect. It's not enough to know the truth. We need to know the truth and do the truth, and that's what James is telling us. Christianity is true philosophy, there's no doubt, but it is not a philosophy that stays in the hallowed halls of academia, nor the sanctified rooms such as this that we call a sanctuary. We learn these truths, and they are powerful truths, but the reason they're powerful is because they lead to action. The world needs to see Ridgecrest and other churches filled with evangelical fervor going out and doing the work of the kingdom. Now, I want you to think about this. I said it in our very first sermon in, in James. That is, God does not need our good works. This is Martin Luther, but our neighbor does. So why are we doing these good works? Well, we're not doing it uh, to save our souls. Jesus did that on the cross. But our neighbors, those in our community that do not know Jesus, they need your good works. And so again, Christianity forces us into the crossroads of life to collide with hurting souls. I want you to see this. Where is the collision happening in your life? Where is that place where what you sang about just a moment ago, I said sang like I'm from Western Kentucky, but anyway, what you just sang about a moment ago how does that connect with the hurting souls around us? James's words not only put us in front of a mirror this morning, but they also put us under a microscope. We're going to look into that mirror that, that James spoke of, but it's going to put us under a microscope. God wants to pick apart your heart a little bit this morning so that you can determine where that, that crossroads is, that collision occurs so that hurting souls can hear this beautiful gospel. Let's begin by contemplating the deception. The deception is this, that there is such a thing as passive Christianity. One of the biggest lies the devil tells us is that we can be passive Christians. The devil is a liar. And, and he is perfectly happy with us remaining faithful to worship and being in attendance, being active members of the Sunday school, but then never pushing back against lostness or caring for those who are vulnerable and oppressed. I'm going to say something here. I'm going to be on the screen for you, but this is a powerful statement. From the devil's perspective, the safest place for a Christian to be and remain is in the church. Now, that may seem uh, like that's not quite right. I, I had to read it over, even after I wrote it, several times to make sure that I wasn't guilty of heresy here. But the heresy meter, I think, is okay. I don't think we've hit heresy. Listen, being in church is not what the devil wants if you're worshiping God and growing in grace. But if what we do is consider our Christianity nothing more than coming to church or going to Sunday school, and that Christianity remains in this room and doesn't flow out where you can be salt and light in the community, then the devil has won. He, he is perfectly happy with you coming to church as long as you keep it in the church. This is what James is speaking of here in this passage when he speaks of not being hearers only. 
Even in the world today, the secular world, I've heard politicians and people say, uh, people in academia, oh, you know what, Christians, it's, it's fine for you to have your, your faith in church. Just don't take that out. Don't, don't take those beliefs from the Bible and then try to bring those into the cultural stream. That's not acceptable. Well, I'm here to tell you, it is not only acceptable, it is an imperative. The world needs to hear our voice, not a, not a voice of judgment, but a voice of love and compassion, telling people to turn from their sins and to turn unto Jesus. The judgment will come from God. We are not the judges. We're not the ones doing the judging, but we're telling them about the gospel that saves. What an awesome opportunity that is. I believe a habit of gospel faithfulness will put the gospel in our hearts true, and a true gospel in your heart will change what you do with your hands. If this has been changed, brothers and sisters, these hands will be changed as well. And what you do with your life will make a difference for the gospel. James has no patience with lazy Christianity. And he gets it honest because Jesus in Luke eleven twenty eight 28 says this, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Listen, friends, you can hear the truth this morning. You can nod and say, yes, Jeremy, I think you're telling me the truth. But if you don't keep the word, if you don't act on the word, well, what change has occurred? God is inviting us into the crossroads where the message meets with the hurting souls of the world. The world desperately needs born-again people to behave in born-again ways. Today in evangelical Christianity, people will talk about being born again. Well, that's great. You can make that claim. You can say that you're born again, but are you behaving in born-again ways? If this is a heart change, then it should change your behavior. Oh, friends, there's a lot of self-deluded Christianity and many self-deluded Christians out there that, that are uh, not acting out their faith. And quite frankly, in so doing, they are becoming a stumbling block. Listen, we need to offer the world something better, else we are, as verse 22 tells us, we are deceiving ourselves. And friends, self-deception is the greatest of all deceptions, and sadly, it is the most common of all deceptions. But know this, God is not deceived. You can tell yourself that, that it's okay, but if you... You can tell yourself that all you want, but if you are not being faithful to God, if you're not learning gospel truth and then applying it in this world, something is wrong. Paul, speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.7, warns about those who are always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. As a young man, um, I love to drink in the Bible and drink in history. And a lot of my Christianity, I had it focused right here. The problem was, was that it wasn't impact, impacting this right here, my heart. And so most of the time I could tell you what's true. But many times I was not living out that truth. And I still to this day struggle with that. I can be right. I can win arguments. But if I have not love, like we mentioned last week, we have nothing. We need to live out this gospel. 
hey, listen, I, I know that this world can be a tough place and, and, and the rough seas that we go through uh, can sometimes cause us to ask for, uh, you know, calm waters. But I want to just say this to you. Um, one of the things we need to realize, church, is that uh, calm waters are destructive and deadly. Back in the times before steamships and, and, and mechanically powered boats, you were completely dependent on wind and wind energy to drive the sails. And one of the things I've learned in studying uh, some of the accounts of ancient sailors, they weren't all that concerned about storms, but they were deathly afraid of calm waters. Now that may sound crazy, but the reason why they were deathly afraid of calm waters is because you don't go anywhere, and if you're just stuck out in the middle of the ocean and you can't move anywhere, you know you're going to die. People go mad in calm waters. People become resolute in storms. And it is time for the church to be resolute. We are living in a season of storms. Whether we want to talk about COVID or we want to talk about geopolitics, there are a lot of things going on in the world today that cause us to say these are not calm times. But don't be afraid to steer your life towards the choppy waters. Yes, there is danger there, but there is adventure. And if you seek calm waters, what you will find is your grave. Listen, we have a message that has changed our hearts. That's what we've been told by James and what Paul tells us and what Jesus' message teaches us. We are born again. We are born again. Don't be afraid of the storm. The the storm isn't the problem. The problem for us is, is that we try to find calm, and what that does is make us complacent. And when we are not utilizing our gifts for the kingdom of God, that is not what God has called us to do. Here in this passage, James is literally saying, become a doer. Become a doer. The prophet Micah put it like this, that we are to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. These are actions. These are things that God wants us to do. Let me just say this. Most Christians today, even the ones who are relatively faithful to either come to worship or, or, or plug in, uh, tune in from, from uh, at home on video, it's sad to say, but many, many Christians have pushed pause on their outreach, pause on what they're doing beyond the context of the building. Even those of us who are preaching and teaching, sometimes we are not pushing play when we leave the property and go out there in the world. Listen, the Lord wants us to push play and leave it on. Our message that we learn in here, the way God speaks to our hearts is to make us active. And the biggest deception of all is when we tell ourselves that our passive Christianity is okay. It is not okay. Passive Christianity is not only not okay, it may be heretical because you can say the right things, but if you are not being changed, if you're not living for Jesus, there is a huge hole in your witness and in your life. So what do we do? Well, we need to look in the mirror and also we need to remember what we've seen. From time to time, I would assume that you, like me, have those moments of reflection I know when I turned 40, I reflected a lot and thought, wow, I'm really old now. At other times, whether it's a birthday or an anniversary or something like that, uh, from time to time, we become reflective, we would say. Now, if you'll notice here in this passage, verses 23 and 24 speaks of the person, the natural man looking at his face, 
in a mirror. It is understandable uh, for us to look in a mirror. It's a helpful thing to do. It can, can lead to uh, uh, helping us you know, fix things and get things put together. Um, but here's the problem. When we look in the mirror, the real question is, isn't this morning, did you look in the mirror? Uh, the real question James would ask is, do you remember what you saw? And when we take this analogy and bring it into spirituality, it's, it's one thing when we come to church and we say, wow, pastor, as I'm holding up this word of God, it's, it's, it's helping me to see something about myself. It, I'm, I see a reflection here. I don't like what I see. But the problem is we are convicted in this moment, but then we don't take that conviction with us. It doesn't change us on Monday. Friends, we need to remember what we saw. Verse 24 For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. May that not happen here today. Look at verse 23. It's an interesting term here. The term here is, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now, that word natural is the same Greek word for Genesis. Genesis. Now, I think what's happening here is that James is talking about our Genesis face. The face we have before we try to to, to make it look like something else, or we try to maybe put on a face. Now, you'll kind of laugh. Some of you that are a little older will laugh at me here, but I can remember the first time I really listened to the song Eleanor Rigby. Now, say what you want to about the Beatles. At least when they were writing this song, they were having some serious reflection and maybe even some spiritual reflection. In that song, there's a line that speaks of Eleanor Rigby. It says, she keeps a face in the jar by the door. What is it for? Now, not that I can write better songs uh, than Lennon and McCartney, but let me just say this. I think they asked the wrong question. I think it should be, who is it for? Who is it for? You see, much of what we do in this world is we feel like we have to put on a face for the world that's acceptable to the world. So even as Christians, when we've been changed and transformed by the gospel, we tend to put on different faces depending on our audience and where we're at. Now, I want to say this to you. I'm convinced that hypocrisy is just part of being human. We are not always 100% consistent. We sometimes don't uh, uh, live the life that we profess. So this connects with all of us. No one is beyond this. But I want to say to you, what is your Genesis face? When, when God's Word begins to show you your Genesis face, who you really are, you don't need to run from that. You don't, don't need to turn away from that. You need to look really good at that and let it begin to change you. Because the gospel is here to change you. And your natural face, when you go out into the world, you don't need to try to cover up your scars. You don't need to act like you're better than everybody else. Those scars that are on your face because of your sin show the world that you are a sinner who is in need of grace just like everybody else. And when we don't put on a face, when we are real about our struggles, when we are grace-centered in our Christianity, that's when we begin to change the world. The world doesn't need self-righteous piety. The world needs grace-centered Christianity. Friends, when you look in the mirror, do you want to forget what you see? If so, that's not a good place to be spiritually. There are seasons of life where we're just not going to like what we, what we see. Maybe that's a season you're in right now. Let me tell you this, you don't have to stay in that, that place. You don't have to stay stuck in that place where you're at right now. 
You need to follow Jesus, and you need to try your best to make your life mirror his. He is the ultimate expression of what we are to be and how we are to live. We often make deliberate choices not to model our lives after the Savior, and this always makes for a sad reflection. When we are not following Jesus closely, um, it's evident for all to see. David in Psalm 51, 3 says this. He says, my sins are ever before me. Notice David's not trying to tuck his sins in the back corner or to put a face on. He says, no, I'm putting my sins out here ever before me. I'm going to be honest about my sinful condition, but I'm also going to be honest about how the Spirit of God has delivered me from my sin. I'm going to say, yes, I am a great sinner, but I'm also going to say he is a great Savior. And only the Holy Spirit can give us this perspective. It takes a brave soul to own your mistakes. But the biggest mistake we make is to look and see those mistakes and then, and then not be honest about it. i got to tell you a funny story. I didn't say this in the first service. I'm going to tell it to you guys because I don't think I'm as likely to get fired in this service as maybe the first. So I was thinking about this when I was writing this. I wrote a little note in my note saying, you know, maybe you tell this, maybe you don't. I chose not to say it in the first service. But I'm going to tell you because of something really funny that happened, okay? So this point is about looking in the mirror, doing a checkup, making sure that, 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 that we're being real about our hearts. And, and more importantly, we've seen here the being brave enough to admit that we have faults and we've made mistakes. Ergo this illustration. When I was a young preacher, I heard this great story about uh, a young preacher who went to talk to an older preacher who was very wise and, and was just well-known and famous and a great, great man in the pulpit, great man of God. And this young preacher went up to this seasoned pastor and said, give me some advice. What do I need to do right before I get up into the pulpit and preach? And here's what the old preacher said. And the young preacher's sitting there and ready to soak it in. It's going to be the most amazing truth. You know, this is going to change my preaching ministry. And the old pastor said, I get up in front of my mirror and make sure my zipper is up. <laughs> so I didn't tell that to the first service because I thought maybe it would be inappropriate or something like that. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a second here. Um, as I was preaching in the last service, my, 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 I don't keep my phone with me uh, because Randy told me he was going to prank call me if I did. Um, so I, I, but my, my watch still gets text. So my, my, my watch is like going crazy. And this is from Pastor Johnny, my beloved friend. He's sending me this while I'm preaching. Your zipper is coming down. Yo, barn door is open. That's what it says. Now that's not true. The issue was, the issue was this belt. Um, I have, I'm in such good shape. Um, I, I, I tightened it down a little bit, and it caused the, pot, the top button to pop off. And so what's so funny is I didn't use that illustration, and it was actually happening to me, okay? And he's like right here saying, oh, pastor, pastor, uh, we need a revelation. But, you know, anyway, so here's the thing. The, the whole mirror thing is about looking, observing, and changing. If there's something wrong, we have to fix it. And I want to tell you, I, I'm going to tell you, there is something wrong in the church today. Because many of us have been hearing good gospel messages for not just months, weeks or months, but for years and decades. 
and we're still not sharing our faith. We're still not actively involved in a ministry. We're pretending like it's okay to come to church and get a Jesus fix and not be changed. That is not okay. You need to look in the mirror this this morning and you need to be changed. The last point is simple. The law of liberty. Good deeds free the soul. I didn't bring this out in the last service, um, but the more you think about that phrase, the law of liberty, the more crazy it is. Because when we think about law, the last thing we think about is freedom. Law is restrictive. Law draws the line. Law says if you're here, you don't go to jail. If you're here, you go to jail. You know, uh, speed limits and other statutes, there you go. But here in the scriptures, we are told that we have this law of liberty. Now, the gospel changes our hearts. It also should change that face in the mirror and show us that we have, have been changed by Jesus and we are free in his gospel. It's a living truth, but good news should lead to good deeds. It, deeds. it should free us. Now, look at verse 25, that word looks. Look at that word looks, verse 25. It means deep meditation, diligent inquiry, and openness. Friends, what we have to realize is, is that God gave us this law. Even the Old Testament, and especially here in the New Testament, we have this law. And this law is to give us the guardrails. It does show us the way forward. It does give us what we need. But we do need to spend time in Sunday school, in worship, digging deeper, understanding the gospel more. Because the more we understand the gospel, it's not that it's going to restrict what you do. I'm here to tell you, it will set you free. It'll set you free. And listen to this. One pastor put it this way. Precious stones do not lie on the surface. That's where gravel is, which is worthless. You must dig in the dark recesses of the earth for them, for those precious stones. We need to dig into the gospel because gospel growth will take more than just a mere glance. We need to dig deep into the word so that it will change us. I'm going to tell you, the older I get, The more I read the scriptures, the more in awe I am of the word. These are master storytellers, masters of theology, philosophy, and all good things. I'm studying right now the story about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And you've probably read that many times yourself. But as I'm reading it this time, I'm reading it with a little bit more of a literary critical eye. And I'm going to tell you, it may be one of the most compact and powerful, powerfully written and beautifully written stories in the Bible. It is just amazing. Luke basically tells the whole story of his gospel in this tiny little frame of, of just uh, 20 or 30 verses. It is beautiful. I'm telling you, the more you look into the Word of God, the more beauty you're going to find. It is incredible. And it'll change you. And, and I want to just tell you, over, over my lifetime, you know, I, I've always tried to get away with my family and see, see the world a little bit. And I can tell you the first time I was in Yellowstone, just blown away by the landscape. First time that I was in the Yosemite Valley and saw El Capitan, just there's nothing like it. And then the first time I flew into Venice on a, on a mission trip and, and, and the plane just came right down. And I was looking down into that, that, that city that shouldn't exist in the middle of a lagoon. Those images are in my mind because they were beautiful and powerful. And I'm telling you, the older I get and the more I let God's Word speak to my heart, I realize that the Word is like this. It is powerful 
It, it, it reminds me again and again that the power of the cross is, is something amazing. And the beauty of what Jesus did for me, it has no comparison. Never, ever fail to remember what Jesus has done for you. But don't just remember it in the sense of, uh, of seeing it as a spectator, but realize what Jesus has done for you demands action. The world will tell you it is the thought that counts. But James is saying something very different. He will not allow us to stay in such a shallow, comfortable place. It's not the thought that counts, Christian. It's your actions driven by gospel truth. It's time to stop telling yourself a lie that's just because you meant well that that means you're well. No, if we are never sharing the gospel, if we are never being used in a ministry context, if all we're doing is taking in and never giving out, something is wrong with the equation. You are more bound by the law than set free, and this is the law of liberty. Christian activity is not bound by duty. It is made free by love. You don't need to learn this law so that you can like, you know, get more restrictive and do less. No, the more you learn about the love of God, the more it will set you free. That's why we need to persevere in the law of liberty. Because if we will, we will do more for Jesus, not less. Here's the question. Have you found that special place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet? Where is that place for you, that crossroads, where this worship, this instruction in the Word begins to be salt and light, where people are hungry, where people are hurting? The crossroad is the connecting point. And I want to just say this. We have to have more than 5 or 10 or 15% of our church family connecting with ministry. We need every one of you connecting with ministry. What Kelsey mentioned earlier, my quote, I'm pretty sure I, I, I stole that from another missiologist. Um, the church is the mission. And in the early church, there wasn't a missions department. There was just the church. And it had to be missional. And if it wasn't missional, it would have died and we wouldn't be here today. But because those early Christians were not just hearers, but they were also doers, we have heard the gospel. It has been an unbroken chain over 2,000 years, giving us the hope we have in the face of death. And it is our job, church, to be another link in that chain and to connect with future generations this glorious gospel that will transform the world. Jesus is coming again. And a hurting world needs your glad heart. This hurting world needs you on fire for Jesus. Act on the grace given to you. Act and look at verse one, or verse 25, chapter 1. It says that you will be blessed in doing. I mentioned that earlier. We need to understand that, that hearing the word and acting on the word is the pathway of great blessings. The world is hungry for something better. And that something better... It's right here in your heart, Christian. It's right here. But we can't leave it right here. And we certainly can't keep it right in here. We need to make sure that we are faithful to the gospel to hear it and to do it. And we right now, and that's what this invitation is for, this invitation is an opportunity for you to, to come and ask God to help you find that touchdown place. That place where oh, this wonderful gospel that you know has saved you, you need to say, Lord, now what does this mean? 
Where, where, where do you want me to serve you? How can I be a part of changing the world? Where is the place for you where your gladness of heart connects with hurting hearts? If you want to know where that collision should start, well, right here. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.